0: Welcome to PCA One-on-One Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO.
1: I'm really excited to have Ted Leland on our uh, interview today. Uh, Ted is the director of athletics at the University of Pacific. Uh, he has been the vice president for external relations uh, at the university as well. He's actively involved in a whole bunch of um, community uh, organizations, such as uh, he's a committee chair of the Stockton University uh, School District. He's on the USA Volleyball Foundation board, to name just a few. Um, he's been the athletic director at Dartmouth and at Stanford, where uh, when Ted was the AD at Stanford... Um, they won so many of what they called the Director's Cup that um, they had trouble finding a sponsor because it always went to Stanford uh, every every year for many years in a row. Um, he got his Ph.D. in education sports psychology at Stanford, where he studied with Al Bandura, also a member of PCA's National Advisory Board, along with Ted. He's a founding board member of ILE, the Institute for Sports Law and Ethics at Santa Clara University, He's a member of PCA's National Advisory Board. And I can say without exaggeration that I think without Ted's early support there probably wouldn't be no positive coaching alliance today. Ted, real pleasure to talk to you today.
0: Well, thank you, Jim. That's an awfully generous uh, introduction and but but thank you anyway.
1: So um Thomas Wolfe wrote a book called You Can't Go Home Again. But you did. You were <laughs> uh you were at the University of the Pacific, you moved on to Stanford and you came back Talk about that decision and and why you, uh, why you went back.
0: Well, I, I think I had, uh, um, uh, you know, I'd taken the Stanford athletic director's job when I was 41 years old, and my question at the time was, you know, what, what's my next, uh, when I'm done with this, what's going to happen? And I worked all the way there till I was, uh, I think, 58 years old and technically retired from Stanford. I, I felt Stanford needed a, a new athletic director, needed some new blood, and uh, they need to probably some uh, new athletic director with some skills I didn't have. And, you know, they're they're on the cutting edge. They, they need to be forward-thinking, and I, I felt that... That, uh So it was time for me to retire, so I retired and then my my uh, agreement with my wife i'd lived in Chicago with her and and Hanover, New Hampshire and uh, uh all over the place and 16 years on the Stan- on the Stanford campus and my deal with her we'd move back to her hometown Stockton so it is a homecoming for us uh and we enjoy it you know we just love it here and uh, um we're sort of uh, uh, Stockton is sort of the uh, sort of the Midwest in the middle of California with a agricultural community where everybody knows each other the pace of life is a little bit slower um uh and uh, we just we so we just love it here
1: you know i grew up in the midwest myself north dakota went to school in minnesota so that uh, that midwest uh ethos I, I like a lot um you raise a lot of money um and of course that's a challenge i face every day with positive coaching alliance um what's the key to successful fundraising and and how is it different or similar to success in sports
0: well i think to to me the success in fundraising is uh is two things. One is you got to have a, a compelling need. You have to be able to explain um, uh, what what you need, what what you're going to accomplish, how how uh, your um, uh, a donor's donation is going to make a difference in somebody's lives. So the people that have the capability or the desire to give away money now uh, in fundraising are they're. they're Besieged, they're deluged by uh, lots and lots of different appeals, and and you've got to make uh, Stanford University athletics, or or uh, the Positive Coaching Alliance, or University of Pacific Athletics, you've got to make that compelling need statement. And, uh, um, and of course, I think that the Positive Coaching Alliance has that. Uh, we in America believe that that sports uh, can be a powerful uh, social force in 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 motivating, uh, uh, in creating a better life for for young people. And, and uh, it can also be not so good. And so we have a compelling mission statement at, at the Positive Coaching Alliance. And uh, um, that's the first thing. You have to have a compelling mission statement. You have to have a reason uh, that you can explain to people on, on why to give. And uh, the second thing is just a lot of hard work. You have to uh, you have to um, get up in the morning thinking about fundraising and go to bed thinking about fundraising. You have to and you have to and part of that's believing yourself that you're going to make a difference. So uh, um, uh, so I think it's a combination of sort of mission statement or compelling mission and hard work.
1: Yeah, you know, Ted, I thought maybe your your second one would be. Um, relationships and I want to um we've we've uh, gotten really interested in some work that Mary Fry at the University of Kansas has done on how you create a positive culture in teams she's worked with you know 10-year-old kids all the way up to college football teams and that that relationship where the the players believe the coach believes in them and they they care about each other uh seems really crucial for success in sports but a lot of coaches don't quite get that. I think. Do you agree with that?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I, I agree with the assertion that the the uh, the, the athletes have to uh, um, have a confidence. Uh, that the coach uh, uh, is set the right course. It's it it gets back to the old uh, in, in my uh, sort of psychological paradigm. It gets back to the old uh, self-efficacy Bandura's self-efficacy, where you know the uh, 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 the willingness of an athlete to undertake a task or the willingness of an athlete to persist will be directly proportional to their belief that they can be successful. Um, uh, if an athlete believes they're not going to be successful, then it's just unlikely they're going to persist or even undertake the task at all, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and that's sort of part of self-efficacy theory. And the coach plays a key role um, in in creating an environment uh, uh, where the athlete's e- efficacy is is higher. Uh, we used to. Uh, uh, sometimes when I was at Stanford, Mike Montgomery, the basketball coach, and I would talk about, you know, what's the key to him being successful? The one, If you had to say one thing to being successful at a basketball coach and at the big-time basketball, what would it be? And he said all boils down to, um, you know, with 30 seconds to go, if I call an inbounds play, do the, do the kids on the team believe it's going to be successful? Do they believe I've prepared them and that we've given them the right strategies, the right conditioning, the right environment to be successful? And that's what it comes down to because if you do that – if you have that, that, that confidence, that high efficacy level created by the coach, then you'll recruit better athletes. The athletes will work harder, um, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, that has to be part of sports. You can't even imagine a sports in, uh, uh, environment where you went out and said, you know, I'm going to play worse today than I did yesterday. Or you walk out to the court and say, I, I got no chance to win today because I'm not prepared. Um, I, I just think it's critical. I watched one of our uh, weightlifting programs here at Pacific yesterday, and the and the and the weightlifting coach said the following. He said, Everybody's working hard, but you're working harder than anybody. He said, everybody's working hard, but you're working harder than anybody. Now, we don't really know whether that's true or not, but that was a clear effort to build up the efficacy of the athletes. Because if the athletes mm-hmm. believe they're working harder than everybody else to be successful, then then they'll persist and they'll carry that into the competition. Uh, and I think – so. I, to me, that's the key element in being successful. And the coach is the, is the guy that is, – is the person that does that
1: you know um let's let's talk about joy in sports i um I've tried to get back into running, I've been lifting weights now and i've got, gotten back into running and um uh, I just met a guy named George Beinhorn who wrote a book called the uh, the Joyful athlete and um I've been reading the book, and as I'm running, I'm in a lot of pain 'cause i haven't <laughs> I haven't been in shape for a while. I keep thinking what he says about joyfulness makes it easier to to give out efforts. Um, right, And, you know, I know you're you're good friends with Pete Carroll, who just seems to embody joyfulness. Um, you know, t- talk a little bit about joy in, in competing. Yeah,
0: I uh, well, I, I you know I've I, I, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about this and I am good friends with Pete Carroll. And I I uh, um, I, I do think, you know, joy is part of it. Matter of fact, one of the 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 Benefits, I think, of, of athletics and especially in, in my world, college athletics, is that you can create those joyful experiences that are that are part of, a, in my opinion, part of a quality of life. They're part of what being a human being is. Is at the highest level, is to experience uh, um, those those uh, moments of joy, and sports can can do that for you. It's uh, um, you know, there's a, we used to talk a lot about, uh, and Pete Carroll, matter of fact, I I was uh, helped him write his uh, dissertation for his master's degree here at Pacific on. Uh, uh, on flow. Um, you know I know he he 's believed for forty years that 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 's you know when you 're really in the zone uh, you're, you, you you reach a sort of a new level of human potential uh, where uh, um, uh, consciousness time seems to change uh, but but uh, 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 things become clearer, the game slows down, and you walk away with a, just an incredible sense of uh, uh, of uh, a great human moment and I, I believe that 's part of what uh, we do. My wife kids me and says you know, all I want to do, Ted. When you watch a game, all you do is uh, is watch the celebration after the game. Because I, I just think that's that's what's really, you know, uh, that that's what this is all about. Uh, it usually entails winning, too. You, you can't have chronic losing. You can't be chronic mediocrity. It's hard to create those special moments, those uh, uh, moments where you sort of transcend um, the sport itself, and, and um, et cetera, et cetera. But, but it, you see, winning is part of it, but it's not the only thing. There's times when I've seen athletes uh, compete at the highest level and have that sort of joy um, of, of sport and uh, yet at the same time not not necessarily win the game
1: you know flow, you mentioned flow and um mi Chicks at who wrote the book flow is is um you know been involved with positive coaching alliance on our national advisory board also yes, and I think you know that the i uh, I'll just tell you about a conversation I had with Pete Carroll many years ago when he was at u s c we were talking about mistakes and you know we have a mistake ritual like flushing mistakes or wiping it off or brushing it off and he had actually thought through mistakes um deeper than we had he said that when uh when a usc player makes a mistake the coaches have to think before they say anything they have to think what does this player need right now um and i think the you know our conversations with um ken revisa and um Uh, Other um, Charlie Marr, other sports psychology folks working in the professional leagues indicate that that flow can be disrupted so easily, so quickly with negativity, with uh, you know coaches yelling at players. That also. Oh,
0: I I I agree. I see no. uh, um, uh, I mean, one of my favorite. Um, uh, sort of bromides for coaches is, uh, um, uh, is, is never, uh, um, I mean, you have to assume as a coach that all athletes want to win. You have to, as you're going to coach, you have to assume that. Now, sometimes they don't act that way, okay? But and, and you gotta, and you may have to correct that behavior. But coaches who go out and and see, uh, um, you know, a, a behavior that they, they that's unacceptable or a behavior that's not full effort or or something like that, they, they immediately think, well, that kid doesn't want to win. And I think that's crazy. I think why would they be out there? The, the the kids on, and I say this all the time to our coaches. And I said it when I was at Stanford, uh, you know, all, all athletes want to win. Now, your job is to is create an environment where they. Can, uh, where they can win. You got You got to show them how to win. You got to tell them what's acceptable. What you know, what's a, a winning performance and what's not a winning performance. But but let's not get into this thing about the the, the kids don't want to win because they want to win, especially at the college level. Because most of our athletes have at the college level, ninety nine percent of them have been very successful uh, for years and years in sport before they came to us. So they've already dominated their league in basketball, or they've been the best field hockey player in the area, or they wouldn't have gotten the the opportunity to come to college. They wouldn't be playing college sports. So, so I, I think I'm I'm sort of uh, uh, in a practical sense trying to deal with what you're talking about. There's no reason for negativity if if you assume the kid wants to win. Just assume they want to win, you know. And I think that's a that's that's my sort of uh, a day to day as an administrator uh, um, uh, message to the coaches is has always been: Hey, they they don't come in here and tell me kids don't want to win. That that's not true. And the other part of that is, if they don't want to win, then what's the what's the environment like? Because we know again from the Milgram experiments, we know all the way back in psychology that uh, um, you know that the environment uh, determines about eighty to ninety percent of behavior. Um, and so if you believe that, then your job as a coach is to create an environment where kids can be successful, where athletes can be successful. Um, and if they're not, you know, take a little responsibility and look at the, look at the environment.
1: You know, I I was coaching little league. My son's 37 now, so this is like 30 years ago, (laughs) 20, 27 years ago. I was coaching a little league team in the, the playoffs and we were playing a much stronger team who had a really strong pitcher. And we just played over our heads, uh, went into uh, extra innings, and lost by one run. And as, as I was talking to the players afterwards, and everybody felt great about it, and one of the other coaches from our league walked by, and I heard him say, well, they just didn't want it bad enough. And I just I wanted to go over and throttle him because it's just like they wanted it so bad, and they played so well. Let me ask you about um, uh, being a coach versus an AD. Both leaders, both have to set a culture, but um seems like they'd be very different.
0: Well, I, I think um – yeah, I, the big difference I find, is, is, and I find this is probably why I, you know, I coached college football for eight or ten years, and and why I probably got out of it is I found I found coaching very repetitive. Um, you, know, you had different kids every year, and, and the athletes brought different problems and different challenges. But in college coaching, with the recruiting and the games and everything, it became. But I, I enjoy athletics better. I like a job where I can do something different every day, and and in coaching you have to. I think you're you're better off if you're. Your, uh, um, uh, can get your uh, uh, professional joy out of, out of really being good at one thing. Because coaches tend to be very, very focused on one thing. As an athletic director, I have a much more uh, broad-ranging uh, job. Every day is different than the day before. I found when I was coaching football in college, every Monday during the season was like the Monday before. Um you know, you broke down the film, you had the game plan, you did this, you met with practice and and uh, then every recruiting season was the same. So I that's the major difference I found. The similarities though are 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 incredible because uh, you know, you just mentioned what Pete Carroll said and and before I'll criticize anybody uh, anybody that works for me or any coach, I gotta think about you know, is this gonna make that guy better? This is going to make them a better coach. This going to make them better at their job. Uh, it's not a matter of, uh, uh, you know, me being allowed to have a temper tantrum. And I think that's what Pete was talking about. Oh, I, I know Pete really well. He's just here on campus at UOP and gave a talk to our coaches. And, and one of the things he emphasized with them is coaching is a profession. You can't lose your temper out there. You can't get mad you know this you you've got to be the adult in the situation so uh, um so I, yeah i i i think there's some similarities the big difference is the, the the incredible focus coaches have to have um and i get a broad focus here
1: what it thank you that's that's great what um think about uh college sports at its purest when it's when it happens the way it's supposed to um and what, what think back on your experience as athlete, coach, athletic director, any school you've been at, what what would you say are one of the purest college sports experiences you've been part of?
0: Oh gosh, um, you know I think I I I'm not sure I'm I, I I'm all that. Um, Comfortable with purists, I guess. I guess I would describe it as there's a there's a a, a model of college athletics where it's 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 about what the Positive Coaching Alliance stand for. Where athletics is about character development. It's about creating an environment that uh, where athletes can have peak experiences. It's about learning the lessons that'll stand you in good stead. It's about the joy of athletics. It's that, and I see that lots of times in college athletics. And and there, but there's another model that I, I, I of college athletics that we we're seeing more and more, and I would call that the high-performance, big business model. This is the, you know, the BCS in, in football and stuff like that. And I think college athletics uh, runs a whole range. I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm I'm ready to say one's pure. You can have pure high-level competition at Ohio State football. I mean, everybody's professionalized. There's just no – let's not even kid ourselves. All the kids on the team want to be professionals. They're, getting, they're preparing for their career in the NFL, and there's lots of money at stake. The coaches – the head coach makes $5 million. I mean, this is about money. Uh, uh, you know, football at Whitworth College in uh, in uh, Salem, uh, Oregon is a different deal, right? There's not much money involved. Kids don't have uh, professional opportunities, and but but so college athletics is a whole blend of that. And I'm comfortable with the blending. Um, I'm I'm uh, uh, what we say here at Pacific is there's two models of, of college athletics. One is focuses on the growth and development of the student athlete. The other focuses on winning. We're going to try to do both here at Pacific, but we're going to do the winning by focusing on the development of the student. In other words, our, our goal, we know there's two models. Those models are meshed together. You have a little bit of it and everything uh, in all your sports. Um, and uh, um, But we're going to focus on the quality experience the kids have, creating those special moments, um, having the, the athletes learn lessons, and then the the winning will take care of itself. And eventually we'll have some, some kids maybe with professional aspirations. So that's the way I look at it. I don't look at one as is sort of better than the other, I would say this, that the one model, the educational developmental model of of athletics, which is what the Positive Coaching Alliance stands for, and I think most of my career stood for that, is more compatible with higher education than the professional model. I mean, I I don't know how uh, um, the professional model is I don't know how they do it at places like Wisconsin and Ohio State, the, where the the uh, emphasis on on professionalism is so heavy. Yet it's embedded in an academic institution. I, I don't know how to I don't know how to combine that. I've always worked at small private schools, uh, and I think I'm pretty good at combining the two models there. I don't know how you do it at a big public school.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, that was that was really helpful. I, I do want to go back. Take the word "pure" out. Uh, can you think of an experience where uh you know in in sports that you were involved with it just felt so fantastic
0: yeah if you I think for me, when people ask me, because I've been an athletic director for almost 30 years now, what was my most, uh, um, you know, best moment for me as an athletic director? And this is going to sound crazy, but when I was at Dartmouth College as athletic director, we used to have what we called jamboree weekends. So when we played Harvard in football, we would take our football team down there to play in Boston. But we would also take our JV football team, our freshman football team, our field hockey team, our JV field hockey team our cross country team, our soccer team for men, women, jv's and and we we would take like 21 teams down to uh, Harvard wow. and play a jamboree weekend. It would start on Friday morning, they'd play, culminate with the football game on the varsity football game on Saturday and and then we were we were we were done, right? Well, the first year I was the athletic director at at uh, Dartmouth, which I think was 80 81 or 82. Um, we we had our Jamboree weekend against Yale, and we were something like 3-18 uh, and 18 against them. They beat us in almost every sport. And the last year I was at Dartmouth, we went down to the Jamboree weekend at Yale, and we had reversed it. We were about 17-3. and 3. Um, And for me, I got in my car, and I thought, you know what? I've done a good job because we created a more positive experience for all those dozens and dozens of athletes that we took down there because um, I think winning is part of a positive experience and we had created um, um, excitement uh, uh, among the athletes. So that that was a thrill. Next day, another thrill. I had it just uh, uh, the, a couple of weeks ago. I was walking across campus at Pacific and we have a new uh, coach in this particular sport and one of the athletes that's coming back and said, uh, um, uh, you know, hi, Dr. Leon, how you doing? I said, uh, hi, how's it going? How are you doing this summer? He said, oh, I'm preparing. He said, that new coach, we're all so excited. He's, he's brought in new players. i got to get better. I'm going to I'm gonna have to, you know, I'm changing my weightlifting. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm really going to have to work hard because I'm not going to get any playing time. He, this guy's really, really enthusiastic, and he's brought in some good players. i got to get going. It, but the kid said it in a very, the athlete said it in a very positive and upbeat way, and I thought to myself as an athletic director, I feel good about that. I've done my job. Now whether the team wins or not, that'll work out in the period. But my job is to create an environment where the kids, the athletes, can get really excited about what they're doing and not excited in Gee isn't this fun like a like a beer pong party. It's G isn't this fun because we're working hard, we're dedicated, we're pulling together as a team all the things that we think uh, um are important in sports. So those are the kind of things that people ask me lots of times you know, Jim. asked me a lot of times was the Final Four in basketball, winning the the Directors Cup, uh, the the you know the Rose Bowl in football. Uh, you know, were those the, the thrills? No, nah, the, the, I mean those are things I sort of. Uh, I, I mean, I was I was happy to be there and I was glad for the kids and the team. But but I, I'm I'm in this uh, because I really really uh, um, uh, love to try to provide that great experience for for athletes.
1: You know, um, I did a podcast interview with Bob Scalise, the Harvard AD, and I know you know Bob. Um, And I asked him, uh, he was a lacrosse coach, and I asked him what he knew now that he wished he had known when he started coaching. And he said something really lovely. He said, um, I was determined, I was a really good player, and I was determined to make those players into great players. And now I wish I had tried to inspire them to become great players. And it seems to me the coach that you just mentioned, that where the player was talking about, he's um, he's setting a challenge, but he's inspiring that player to, to uh, try to get better. And that's lovely when coaches inspire players.
0: Yes. And, Jim, one of the, you know, as you can imagine, all the years I've been in, in athletics, I've got a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, flagpoles I try to stick in the ground. But one of my disappointments, I think, um, over the past uh, forty years of college athletics has been the the uh, I want to say this the the coaching or the adult intrusion into these kids' lives all year round. I mean I I, th- I thought there was a w- when I was an athlete e- even though these kids right now are way better athletes than we ever thought of being. I mean they are so much more skilled and so much better trained and they're so much more dedicated than we were. It's not even it's not even almost comparable. But one thing that's been lost has been uh, um, the sort of uh, uh, intrinsic motivation uh, for a kid, um, that that we're, we're very early in their youth career and we're very uh, uh, oppressive in their college uh, sporting environment, that that they're basically told what to do all the time. And I thought when I played athletics, we had a good balance between being, you know, being in the adult environment, being told what to do, sort of the paramilitary part of, of college athletics um, was combined with sort of self-workout, self-motivation. I mean, for instance, when I And I played, you know, big-time football. I wasn't a great player, but I played big-time football. And, uh, you know, we used to get done with spring football in May, and the coach would say, hey, you better work out in the next two months because in August when you come back, uh, um, there will be hell to pay if you're not in shape. And now what we do, and, and it was, it was a, a sort of upon me and my teammates to make sure we came back in shape and there was that intrinsic motivation, the self-discipline, all the lessons you learn from that. Now everybody in America makes all of their college football players stay on campus, all summer and do organized workouts. There's no, there's no uh, uh, um, self-directed. It's not, it's not self-motivated. It's determined by somebody else. You will do this. And I think we've lost a little bit of, of uh, I think there's something to be said uh, about having part of the athletic experience um, sort of self-motivated. And, you know, and you, I know the positive coach alliance is very involved in this as as we talk about youth sports. You know, is, is there any time for the kid just to be a kid and 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 play on their own? And uh, one of the best articles I've ever read in sports psychology, and this is 50 years old, was a the article was Little League Baseball versus Sandlot Baseball, and talked about the you know the psychological uh, differences, the kind of developmental differences between those two. And you know, when you read that, you said, you know what, some of this ought to be Sandlot. Let those kids go out and play and you know, uh, uh, determine their own uh, uh, commitment to the sport as opposed to, you know, do what the adult says or you're not part of the group.
1: I had a friend, uh, Paul Solomon, we were jogging one day at the DeHanza College track, and he said, we were talking about motivating kids, and he said, it's hard to be driven when you're being driven. And yeah. And I think that. That's it, exactly. It and,
0: and you and I know from psychology, you know, the more – the more you're driven by others, the more the, the more the re- rewards are external, the more the the requirements yep. are externally mandated, the less intrinsic motivation We did a when I was a, first began I, we, in sports psychology, this is again thirty years ago we did a, we, we interviewed we gave a, a paper pencil test to to two college football programs where the kids had scholarships, um, and one of those was UOP, and the other was cal. And then we did another one with two teams that – witnessed was Chico State and Davis. That the kids played pretty good football, not as good as, as UOP and Cal, but pretty good football, And but they didn't get scholarships. And we asked them the question uh, – we asked all the seniors, would you play next year – would you play another year of college football if you could and under what circumstances? And it was really clear. The, the UOP kids and the Cal kids said, you know what? I'd only play if I was on scholarship, and I'd only play if I had to. Wow. And the Davis well, and the Chico kids were almost all like, "God, yeah! If I had another year, I love this. Yeah,
1: you know, I love what I'm yeah. doing.
0: I, I'm doing this. Why I'm doing this? Because I, cause I enjoy it. I'm doing this because for the fun yeah. of it. I'm not doing this because I got the meanest coach in America. You know. And and clearly, in those old days, you know, it's not true anymore. But in those days, when I played, you know, European Cal would have certainly had better football teams than Davis and Chico did. This is a long time ago. Um, I'm not, but but. But so so we we performed at a higher level, but I'm not sure we had enough as much fun as those other guys did,
1: yeah, yeah, you've been a big proponent of uh girls and women in sports, and uh you know since title nine um it's certainly lots and lots of women are playing sports uh one of the disappointments I think is the uh there doesn't, doesn't seem to be an increase in the number of women coaches Have you any thoughts about why, oh it god yeah then,
0: of course I've I you know I had the the privilege of in 2002 of uh, um being asked of co-chairing the national commission out of the white house uh, on uh, on title 9 uh and so I I I think title IX is one of the great pieces of uh of legislation that that we've ever had it's one of it's the most popular in my opinion the most popular civil rights law in in that we've ever passed it's pop, more popular in the Voting rights Act more popular in the the civil rights act it's you know it's it's been a wonderful thing for america i just i just am very proud to have been have been part of it. One of the challenges we have though is uh, um is uh, uh females in coaching in college coaching especially but i think i i my opinion on this Jim is we've got to extrapolate it through um uh, all levels of coaching. I mean, what we've had in America, not just at the college level, but at the high school level and at the youth sport level, is we have, a, at Pacific and other places, we have a bunch of female athletes who've never been coached by women on the way up, and they're a little uh, um, uh, hesitant. We had a we had a coaching job on a women's sport come open here uh, um, in the past couple of years in Pacific, and the kids on the women on the team said to me specifically, we would rather be coached by a male, Wow, and that's what they said, and... Um, I, one of my favorite stories when I we had a tennis job open at Pacific, when Frank Brennan stepped down, and we hired Lili Farou, and uh, um, the uh, I met with the team, and I, of course we had to do a search. You know, we, we couldn't just move Lili into the job. We had to, we eventually did that, but we had to we had to do a do a search. So I met with the whole team, and I I gave them the whole talk about what we were looking for and everything. And at the end of this talk, I said, and of course um, for various reasons, um, if we if we have a choice. Um, between two equal candidates, we would probably lean towards hiring the female um, because this is a a women's sport. And one of the kids on the team said, after I got done with my spiel, she said, could you replay that thing about uh, leaning towards hiring a woman? So I told her again, and she said, you know, we, "We, the team, we don't agree with that. She said, we want to win a national championship. And then she said, we would be willing to be coached by a zebra if we thought we could win a (laughs) national championship. That's what the kid said, and it really made me think that um, that this female coaching, it, it, the lack of female coaches, is really a problem. But it's 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 a deep problem. The kids on the team, that many of the women athletes would uh, um, uh, prefer men, and it's crazy. I don't have any statistical analysis of that. I, it's just been my my experience. With female athletes is that is that they they don't want to be part of this they 're not part of the movement to have more female coaches um uh, and I think that's that hurts that hurts our ability i'd rather have female coaches coaching because I think the if we think our coach is a role model, which we do, one of the way we enculturate many of the lessons and the values of athletics into our student athletes is through role modeling. And we know from psychological research, the familiarity or similarity with a role model makes a stronger role model. We know that. So if there's a role model out there, that's a lot like you, you're much more uh, uh, um, uh, probable to, uh, uh, to learn from them and to emulate their behavior. And so we think that uh, um, I think that I'd, I'd, in that sense, I'd rather have females, Coaching females is the right thing to do, but I, I'm just thinking that we're fighting an uphill battle because of the lack of young female coaches in youth sports and the lack of uh, uh, of coaches uh, of the great athletes uh, um, when they move up there. There, I mean, there was one year, Jim. I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but there was one year where we had a, a meeting at the at the uh, national women's volleyball championship for the NCAA, and there had never. This is like after about 20 years of uh, uh NCAA women's volleyball championships there had never been a female head coach in the final four you know, wow. of, of women's uh, uh volleyball and
1: you there know has been we now. um we um uh, Tina Sayer our chief impact officer who you know just yeah. did a podcast with Janine Tucker who's the John Hopkins lacrosse coach and I did one with Lindsay Gottlieb a while back who's the Cal women's basketball coach and boy, I don't think there's any two better coaches in the country than those two men or women. They're just uh, so incredible. And I'm I also wondering, you know, Becky Harmon and now Nancy Lieberman getting uh, to coach on men's teams in the NBA. Hopefully, this is um, this is kind of a, a breakthrough.
0: Oh, well, I think that, and I think that'll help. You know, I mean, I think if if it, let's just pretend, like let's just say that there's some at least anecdotal evidence that some female athletes are our, 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 uh, uh, prejudice against female coaches. Um, you know, you put some female coaches at that level and, and we're going to start making some progress because I think that'll help uh, break it down. Hey, Jim, I've got to get going. I've got to get over to the, My president just wrote me a note saying she needs to see me.
1: Quick question. Um, yes, sir. why did you, why did you, uh, give us, uh, give PCA so much support early on? I mean, it really was crucial. What, why did you jump on board right away so early? Well Jim I just
0: believe what your what what the PCA is doing and what it stands for are really critically important I think for you know 90% of uh, this is just my uh, estimation I've seen some polling data but I I you know I'll let me just say I think a huge majority a more than a supermajority of American parents believe that sports participation is good for the social and character development of their children. My knowing what I know about sport, I would say, yes, that's true, but it can also be very detrimental. You Because yeah. of the emotion, because of the, of the effort, because it's such a wonderful tool, uh, um, it, it's so lifelike, it's so um, uh, emotional, it's got all of the things that, uh, in in my opinion, uh, lead uh, it to sport to be a great teaching moment, a great uh, um, uh, classroom for our young people in the in America to learn. I think it's one of the advantages American societies had over the rest of the world. Frankly, is that we believe in sport and look what it's done for women. So I, I believe. That sport is really, really important to our culture, but it can also be done the wrong way. It can be very damaging. I meet dozens and dozens of people that say their sport experience was the most important experience in their life. It was the time they were most alive. It was when they learned the most, they felt most human, was when they were playing sports. But I've also met a smaller number, but a number nonetheless, of people who have told me it was the worst experience of their life. You know yeah, that, um, and and I think your model that you brought to my office, you know, that 25 years ago, wherever long it was, um, uh, was, was part of the answer. I said, yeah, I felt this way for a long time. I see incredibly destructive behavior uh, um, uh, in coaches. I see coaches that just act like knuckleheads and damage mm-hmm. kids. Um, and I just, I think we're all obligated. Those of us who love sport, we're obligated to try to stop that.
1: Ed, yeah, that, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, and I uh, really appreciate uh, This is a lot of uh, great wisdom here for coaches, parents, athletes out there who are going to hear this. Thank you much.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of QCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit positivecoach.org to download more podcasts.